You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here for your murder mystery world tour, and we are joined today by Ashley Collegian Blunt. She's the author of the memoir How to Be Australian and a Thriller, My Name is Revenge. She's the co-host of James and Ashley Stay at Home with James Mackenzie Watson, a podcast about writing, creativity, and health. And we speak to her today, hours before the Sydney launch of her recently published novel, Dark Mode. <laughs> Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I am wearing sequins, in case you're wondering. It is so exciting. We were talking with you just before Danuka's Taken launch launch, uh, which was a lot of fun. And now we get to flip the script and have your own book launch. Same spot. Different cake. Different cake. <laughs> what, what kind of cake? I need to know. It's dark chocolate, of course. Ooh, <laughs> it has to su- be. The superior cake. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> Oof. All right. Well, Herds isn't getting invited to Danuka's birthday party. Wow. I see how it is. So I guess let's get into the book. It was really interesting to me how you framed Reagan's separation from the internet with her financial issues and the idea that any business worth its salt must be online. Do you think Voodoo Lily could have succeeded if Reagan had the space to deal with her trauma in other ways? Ooh, I I mean, it was interesting because I was talking to someone else who had a small business and she said to me, 2017 was the year that I got on Instagram for my business and it made a big difference. And so that's, that's, you know, one of, one of several reasons this book is set in 2017 is I felt like it was the last year where you could sort of not have that much of an internet presence and not be considered that strange. Like that was the year my husband got a smartphone so up to that, he had just had, you know, one of those regular old cell phones uh-huh. that like made calls and was horrendous to text on. So I, I think, I think, it, I think if Voodoo Lily had been on a main street, she might have had a better chance. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think I, I think she she needed she needed to get online at that time. It's interesting that you say that because in hindsight, like I got this smartphone in 2016 okay. and it was a jump from a 2003 Nokia 6610. Wow. <laughs> so there are a lot of moments reading Reagan's story. I'm like, yeah, I could, I could kind of, kind of relate to that a little bit. You know, I still am burdened with the thought of ever replacing this thing. Um, <laughs> but it is, it is so fascinating that like there, there is, I guess in your mind, that tipping point where the, the, the last kind of viable point where everyone made the switch to, this is the smartphone world now. Yeah, I don't know anyone who doesn't have a smartphone other, other than, you know, below the age of 70, I should qualify. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, yeah. Do you know anyone who doesn't have a smartphone? I, I certainly don't. Yeah. I mean, even my, my grandparents, rest their souls, had smartphones before, before they went on. So Yeah, I mean, my father, I was thinking the one exception is my father-in-law, but he does have an iPad, which he refers to as the little computer. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so uh, That still counts, right? Yeah, I mean, basically. But yeah, Reagan, Reagan is such an interesting character. Like the novel opens on her finding a body just outside her apartment, out on her morning run. And it's, it's such your tried and true serial killer novel body on the front page opening. I guess, talk to me a little bit about jumping into that world of serial killer fiction. I always have loved serial killer fiction. So uh, yes, like some of my favorite novels are serial killer fiction. Um, Like Candace Fox, for example, does it it really well. I love John Sanford, uh, the US author. Have you either of you guys read Sanford? I have not, no. Not for me. He's he's not big in Australia. I don't. He's he's like you know the tier below like Lee Child, James Patterson uh-huh. in the U.S. But like here, people don't know him. But um, yeah, he does some good serial killer stuff. Uh, so I just sort of, and part of the reason I wrote Dark Mode when I did 
because my previous two books are not crime, mm. was because I had been sick for a number of years. I had spent uh, a long time uh, in bed, and I'd filled that time listening to true crime podcasts. Yeah. So I listened to like a lot of serial killer narratives. So I just knew I knew that was going to be part of this. Yeah, there was never any question in my mind that there would be a serial killer in this book. I guess that that first murder, it it does take place in an alleyway that's, you know, just off the beaten path of the Sydney mainways. It feels to me like a parallel to the to the dark web. Um, they're both systems that are easy to access on the surface, but there will always be hideaways and dark shadows to lurk in. Um, what do you think drives Reagan and, by extension, your readers to take a peek down those less trodden side paths? Oh, I love I love that comparison. That's fantastic. I mean. For Reagan, I think she's gotten to a point where she's comfortable in her neighborhood for the first time in her in her adult life, like since since things happened to her when she was younger that kind of changed everything. Mm. And she sees the laneway as just a shortcut to the park from, you know, from her apartment to the park where she's going to run. It's the shortest route. And I was I was at the time when I was writing this was during COVID lockdowns and I was out just walking my dog every morning and walking, cutting through these laneways and feeling like, oh, like I feel very safe here, but also wouldn't this be a good place to, you know, like like find a body, like hide a body, mm-hmm. not hide a body, but like place a body that's like you want it to be on display, but you also want to have just enough time that you know you you won't be seen putting it there. Yeah, you have enough time to get away, but someone will still get the message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whoever exactly. that message is for, I suppose. Well, and that was, so that murder on in the first chapter is a recreation of the Black Dahlia murder, mm. which happened in the US in 1947. And of course, in 1947, that killer did not have to deal with things like security cameras. A woman, Elizabeth Short, she was murdered somewhere. And she was, her body was brought to this suburban neighborhood where she was, left in a lot, like an empty lot, and very specifically posed, which I know in fiction and in movies, you know, it seems like that happens all the time with bodies, but in real life actually is exceptionally rare. It's like 1% of murders, uh, the victims end up being posed Mm. for uh, whoever discovers them. And uh, the Black Dahlia was one of those. Yeah, I mean, you br- you bring up as one of the examples when you're talking about the Black Dahlia murder in the book, the like connection to the art community in America and how that was one of the lead theories for that case. And it does lend this really interesting thematic that your book has with the flowers going all the way through and that idea of the beautiful imagery juxtaposed against all of this horrible stuff going on. And it's really curious the way that Reagan frames every interaction she has around that. You know, she'll see a person be like, you're like that flower. (laughs) Talk to me a bit about that research process. Have you, like the book's only been out for two days as we speak now. People already, horticulturists are already already coming after you. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) That is one of my concerns though. It turns out it's exceptionally difficult to find out like with, with, you know, weird plants, like, is this one allowed in Australia or mm-hmm. is this one banned in Australia? If this book was set anywhere else, it would have been so much easier to do that research. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I wanted Reagan to work with plants because she, it's, it's part of, it's part of that trauma that you referenced. Mm. She finds plants so much easier, 
uh, to understand than people because you give them some water, you give them some some light, the right fertilizer, and they and they they grow and they're happy. Whereas people, she finds them ex- exceptionally difficult uh, because of various people in her life. Um, going back to um, her mother, who who um, uh, has uh, some challenges. Uh, so. I knew I wanted to work with plants and I was, you know, just sort of doing some initial research and I found out this thing about how grass, um, scientists have discovered that grass screams yeah. when you cut it with a lawnmower. Separate to that, scientists have also discovered that all plants scream when they are in need of water, mm. uh, but they're screaming at such a high hertz rate that we can't hear it. Our, our ears just don't pick up that sound. So uh, just, and, and scientists don't know why plants do this. Like, are they warning other plants? Like what is, they don't know the purpose of this, but that was just such a creepy fact. And then I was like, I wonder what other creepy facts there are about plants that I am not aware of. <laughs> and that was a very rich vein of research. Oh yeah. I mean, the, the corpse flowers like all over the front of the book. Talk to me about why that one kind of took the main imagery for like the cover and the body at the start of the story. Well, I, I love the name Voodoo Lily. I think that's just a, and I, and that to me was the kind of thing that would appeal to Reagan. And that's, I think would sum up her business because like the term lily is like something, you know, we think of lily as, a, you know, a really beautiful flower, but then a voodoo lily like immediately signals like, oh, this is a type of lily that like you have never encountered before. And the voodoo lily is in the corpse flower family. So it, when it blossoms, it gives off the stench of rotting meat. And that is to attract carrion flies, which are the flies that pollinate it. So it's it's this weird mix of of strange beauty, like the the corpse flower or the voodoo lily that appears on the cover of the book is is a very particularly odd looking flower, but I think it's beautiful in its own way. But then also you combine that with this this rotten smell, which I think is actually a great metaphor for the internet itself. It's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. you can do all these amazing things with it, but also <laughs> There's a lot of darkness there. I also feel like the the term like voodoo is obviously like it's a magical or a spiritual term. Is that uh, is that is that tied to the ephemeral nature of of the internet, or is that something you've sort of thought about? Or? Oh, I had not put those two things together, but I like where you went with that. That's great. <laughs> Fair enough. Certainly, the you know the avenues of. of of the internet and how people can communicate with each other through over distances and, and get access to, to whatever they need if they want to commit a crime is, you know, part of the, to part of the narrative, I guess. Well, this is the thing because like the kinds of things I'm writing about in, in dark mode are things that are happening right now. Mm. But if I had written the exact same book 50 years ago, it would have been science fiction because like the, the kinds of things you can do with the internet and the technology we have now in, shouldn't be possible. They're kind of magical. It's science fact now. <laughs> it's no longer science fiction. It's science fact. Got him. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt that while working through the novel, the, the timestamps on messages from the dark web, they had this sort of unsettling aura of familiarity to them. Uh, that notion where social media feeds us stories out of order. Do you think that Reagan sees the world differently, having lived without that chronological disjoint that we're all used to online? Oh, that is a great question. I mean, because this is 2017 and we hadn't gotten that disjointed yet, right? Like at that time, if I remember correctly, things were still... Maybe I'd been on the internet for a bit too long, <laughs> but I don't think I agree. No? Okay, okay. <laughs> we're a bunch not. of nerds here. We've been on the internet since 2002, I think. I, I remember uh, the week YouTube started. Ah, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, because you're right. The internet, 
like puts us into a weird yeah. time space yeah. where everything's sort of happening all at once, but also we want the newest thing too. Yeah. Like if something's outdated on the internet, it feels really outdated. Mm. So I, yeah, she, she's for her, like all of this is like, she's, she's just trying to wrap her head around like, what is Instagram and how do mm-hmm. I use it when suddenly she's forced to find out that oh, all this stuff is also happening on the dark web. Mm. Part of the point that I wanted to make with this book is actually, even if you're not online, like even if you're not online, what's happening online is affecting all of us. Mm. Like even if you like, it doesn't matter if you know about it or not, it is affecting you. And I think we all need to become more aware of that. So Reagan was shoved into that world very abruptly and unpleasantly. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you recently, I was faced with the dilemma of what messaging service to use when communicating with some hip young kids. <laughs> and I said, you know, what about Messenger? That seems like a reasonable app to use. And they're like, oh, but what about Instagram or WhatsApp? And I'm like, why would you use those apps? I have no concept of this. It's a bit of a mind shattering moment for me. Yeah, you know? it's interesting also the way that we like break into tribes because one of the things, particularly connecting to the dark web and all of the things that will you know, we'll, we'll shy away from because it's a bit more to do with the latter side of the book. (laughs) Um, but also that like, it is so tribal. There are these tiny communities that you don't really hear about. And like a lot of people hearing heard say, why not use WhatsApp would go, what are you on about? I live my life through that thing. (laughs) Where you're crazy. Whereas he'd hear the same thing saying someone say exactly the opposite. And I think how those apps function also, changes how we interact with the people that we're interacting with on there. So, you know, people who are using Telegraph, that's yeah. like the, the new one, and like all the crime that's happening on that app is something that I'm trying to like wrap my head around. So I think like in the sense, the medium is the message. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's another layer to the complicated world that the internet has created and that we're all sort of trying to find our way through. It's also fascinating. One of the conversations I was having recently is about messaging apps that have like read receipts. So that'll see like, well, when you've seen the message, when you've sent the message, I swear by messaging services that don't have that. Cause I find it personally so toxic to be yeah. like, oh, well they saw it. And now why aren't they replying? Like it's just so much extra mental legwork that goes on when someone probably went, oh yeah, I'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's bizarre. Cause those sorts of apps, right? It's, it's a communication app, but what is being communicated when the app automatically tells you that someone has has heard you, right? Mm. If we were in person, you'd see someone, you know, take a sip of their coffee or pause for a breath. But uh, with, a, with a phone that you can put in your pocket and forget about, it could be any number of millions of reasons why they haven't gotten back to you and you don't know until you receive another message. Mm, absolutely. Now, Reagan does really struggle with the complexity of these uh, new technologies uh, in dark mode but it's the online market that allows our florist business to grow. What inspired you to tap into the dual-sided nature of developing technologies? Well, I don't think, I mean, I don't think technology is all bad. Like I'm not, I'm Good. not a lot. Of, I'm Good not start. someone who's like, I think we should all be off the internet because that's not, that's not realistic. And that's part of what I wanted to show with Reagan was that like, she's, she's being forced onto the internet. Like the bank is trying to force her to use their banking app. Mm. Um, she's being forced on the internet in all these different ways. Her mom is on Instagram and her mom comments on like what her friends are doing while well, her, her one, her one really good friend. Um, so her mom like can sort of, I'm not spy on, but just like, like see into her world in a way that even she can't because she was previously not on Instagram. So 
Reagan's being pushed to use this, and there's all sorts of good things that come out of that come out of the internet and, and our, our use of digital technologies. And and for example, her friend wants her to be online so that she can just show her all the pictures of her kids. Mm. Like she's like, I don't want to have to like point out these photos to show you. Like just like just get on Facebook and you can see all the photos of the kids. I did I did really enjoy the line early in the book where she says, Oh well you could just log into Facebook or you could get a new phone so that I could text them to you, which immediately establishes how old her phone is. <laughs> Cause you. like mm. there we, we could we could text images long before smartphones. There's a <laughs> there's a few decades gap in between them. Yeah. Oh yeah, she's got she's got the original like you know block cell phone that mm-hmm. like just just texts like uh you know the, each key is three letters. I mean, as I, as I was saying, that was what I was on before this thing, yeah. so I'm I well that. familiar. <laughs> I I, I it's just, still, for the record, sat on my desk right next to where I keep my two read piles. So I was sat there reading the book, and I glanced over it, and I'm like. Someday I'll get you back in action. <laughs> Why have you kept that phone? Like, I used I to have want one. It. I want it to work. I I would not be using this thing if I had a choice. Look, I chucked mine. I remember the three the three letters and all the different keys, and I remember chucking it around at night, late at a party, <laughs> a little just a little bit drunk, but it was perfectly fine the day after. So I don't think there was any problem with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're built to last. But see, this is the thing: as I think, there's some of us who kind of would like to remove ourselves from the digital world and fantasize a bit about that. Yeah. And then there's other people who cannot fathom why you would think that. Because people in my writer's group, this one guy in my writer's group when I was sending them early drafts of this, he thought Reagan was nuts. He was yeah. like, no one is going to be able to relate to this character. What are oh. you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> Speak for yourself, oh, my thank friend. You. Speak thank for you. yourself. Uh, tell you what, it is interesting though because one of the issues with Reagan like being separated from it is that she doesn't have the same social circle because that's just how people keep their social circles intact these days. And us being very much from the mystery side of things, you've, we're very familiar with how that can sort of ramp up the suspicion of every character in a cast. It felt like there was a disconnect between who Reagan wants to trust and who she could actually trust. Talk to me a little bit about dealing with a cast that small and like trying to wrangle a story about suspense when the signposts can be so clear in a group that small? Yes, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, it does have a very small cast. I um, And we did actually add a couple of characters in the later drafts just to expand the cast a little bit. I mean, we know, we know this killer is a man, obviously, um, in part because there's just not that female char- not that many female characters yeah. to cast suspicion on. But we know this killer is a man. So uh, Reagan is, you know, surrounded by these men that in various ways she's like, I, you know, don't know about them. Mm. Um, but then also she meets this guy. She meets the guy early in the book. And um, sometimes you meet someone and you just really want to trust that person. Yeah. Like you just have this, you just put this faith in them because you want them to be the person that they present themselves to be. So there's someone that she's trying to, she's trying, and, and it, it takes her some time. She doesn't immediately trust him, but he's also, he offers her some help that she really, really needs. Mm. So I think in terms of the small cast question, it's, it's only showing so much of people, yeah. you know? I think that's that's when you're when you're crafting that. I think that's the key. Yeah, because I think it's also a really interesting way that we connect with like the incentives of everyone in the cast. Where 
obviously we have characters like the police. Lomsky has very clear incentives. There's no ambiguity <laughs> there. But then we get to characters like Min, who is a true crime author. And you're like, are you helping me because you want this to be a story? And there's a lot of ambiguity there. We have, um, you know, Terry, which is Reagan's stepfather. stepfather, who comes off so painfully uncomfortable. But you also get the sense that he's just trying to put on a good show for his for his wife. And there's all, yeah, like the the game of incentives that you play is one of the most enticing things about the way that you use this really tight cast to me. And I wanted to come back to the first question that I asked and the idea that the bank is sort of her main incentive to like break out of this bubble that she's been in without the internet for so long. Talk to me about why that was the incentive you chose to push her with. Ah, well, I mean, if you're running a small business, like you've got to have revenue, right? Like that you've, you've got, you've got bills, you've got to pay, you've got overheads, even when you have no staff, like... Reagan dreams of the day that she can get someone to work weekends for her because yeah. she's worked every weekend for the past three years effectively. But she, you know, she's she's running her own small business and she took out a loan to buy that business, uh, believing that she could keep up the sales that the previous uh, owners had. And she's it's just not working for her. And so, the, you know, the financial incentive... Uh, Everything always comes down to money, right? Yeah. Like, I guess it's interesting to me that you answer the question in that way because it sounds like Reagan was inseparable to you from this idea of the small business flower shop owner. Talk to me about the genesis of that character idea. Ah, well, my mother works for a uh, seed a seed company, actually, a gardening mm-hmm. company. And so that was when I was growing up, we would go to the garden centers in the summer, I would work with my mom. And it was one of those things where as a kid, I was just like, oh, I, <laughs> I don't want to spend my day counting packages of seeds, which is what we did. We counted all the all the different varieties and each variety and mark them on a sheet. And Not the individual seeds, I hope. No, that the- seems like that seems like a big task. <laughs> oh, no, no. Just no, just every single packet of okay, them, okay. which was thousands of packets. Mm-hmm. Much uh, more manageable. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> we may as well have been counting the seeds plus. Um, and so I think that having that in my background, my mom still works for that company. Company. Just, I guess you spend a lot of time in garden centers and they're such particular places, right? Mm. Like and people who garden are so passionate about it. Like people who are good at gardening, it's like a whole separate world. Yeah. And so I think, I, I think this was me trying to step into my mom's world because I'm not a gardener. I don't have a garden. Uh-huh. My, my few houseplants are always kind of dying. Like they're always like about to die on mm-hmm, me. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, what do I do? What do I do? Yeah, I could definitely <laughs> resurrect this one. It's got one green leaf. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly brown. Yeah. <laughs> now, are your plans dying any less after writing this novel? Have no. you learned anything? <laughs> what have you learned? I, I, learned, <laughs> I learned that grass. I learned they're screaming at me. That's true. That's, you learned, I learned that, that grass yeah, screams. It's just more guilt now. That's what, that's what you've got. Now. Yeah. Exactly. You know that if your plants are dying, it's worse than you ever thought it could be. Oh. Right. Yeah. No. I learned. I learned nothing practical about <laughs> keeping my own plants alive. Unfortunately. Well, I guess it's interesting because like. Horticulture, and someone's going to yell at me for using the wrong word here. I just, I know it. I Maybe know it'll it. be me. Let's go. <laughs> the plant stuff. The plant stuff? The plant stuff hasn't really evolved in comparison to the internet, which is evolving so much that like since 2017, a whole bunch of the lingo that's like used in this book, which would have been authentic to this era, I read as a citizen of the internet and go, well, that's a bit dated. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it's no fault of your own. It's accurate. But like, how do you write a book like this over the lengthy project of a book and decide how to fit something that evolves that fast into the text? You know, was there like a slice of time where you're like, these are the words that I'm going to use? Or was it just what felt fit the story best? Yeah. Well, I, I realized with like, now you have to pick a time. Mm. You have to pick a time and say, even if you don't name the time, but in your own head, you have to pick a specific time to set your book in because like digital technology it has has changed so fast and so much. So one of the things I did when I was very, very sick mm. is I watched all uh, at that time 431 episodes of Law and Order Special Victims Unit I in remember, order. Oh when goodness. you mentioned the true crime thing earlier, I was like, I remember the number 430 for some reason, <laughs> and I don't remember where I read it. That was the fact. That was, yes, that was it. And, and it's really interesting because when they started that show in what, uh, it was 19, oh, I can't remember what year it started, but anyways, there's like 21 seasons, so whatever that Your is. Your cred is falling apart. Well, I know, I know. I'm t- <laughs> but when they started that show season one, the captain doesn't have a computer in his office. Yeah. Like that's how, like, which I mean, and I'm th- just cause I'm doing the math right now in my head. I'm like, it must've started in like, um, I was thinking it must've started in 2001, but I'm like, how could he have not have had a computer in 2001? Yeah. But yeah, anyways, doesn't have a computer in his office. And then you see season by season by season, the technology change yeah. like with the show to the point where now they're using like, They've got like projected touch screens on the mm-hmm. wall and it's all a little bit like it's slightly futuristic uh-huh. now. And so you have to pick a specific time because your your tech your tech has to line up. And so that was partly why I pinned this down to 2017. I'm like, okay, this is my specific time frame. Yeah. So then I'm using the tech from that time. But even then you can't actually keep it contained because I had to then say like, okay, well, when Reagan was 15 – what year would that have been? Do some more math, which I'm terrible at. And then, like, what, what was the technology she was using then? Mm. And, and then what were the terms that people use? And then me and my, uh, one of my editors, we got into this big debate about, like, what did you call MSN Messenger? Like, did you just call it Messenger? Because that's confusing now. Did you just call it MSN? And so I did a poll on Twitter. I was like, what do people call this? Turns out they called it everything. So mm-hmm. I was like, all right, whatever. Just pick, just pick a I random know. term. Um, yeah. Probably the most authentic thing about the internet across the course of you know writing this book is finding that they can't give you a single answer for anything. <laughs> we can get a glossary of terms in the front of the book, but with all the years spaced out, so it's very clear. This term means this in this year and this in that year. Yeah. I feel like the paper cost of fitting a glossary that long would kind of undermine the book sales. Well, it's what we do for science. (laughs) It's a QR code that goes to a PDF. Ebook only. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I guess the thing that I wanted to close on just talking about like Reagan as a character to you, who is someone that has come into this story with like so much trauma and I don't want to talk about the way that the book ends. I, there's there's so much to her journey, but do you feel with the journey that she's went on that she came out of this experience better than she started it emotionally? Was this healing for her? Oh, that is such a good question. She has taken one important thing from this journey. And that I really tried to show that in the last lines of the book. She took one really, really important thing that she needs and she didn't have it before. I mean, all emotional thinking about poor Reagan at the end of the book. Yeah. Um, and I think that thing is the thing that's going to get her through. That that thing, to me, was the thing she needed more than anything else. Yeah. And it's it. She is going to have a very very hard time, 
but it's going to carry her through and and she's not the only person who needs her to have that thing. Yeah. So, which is what which is what I hope I showed at the end. I, th- I think we're thinking of the same lines okay, at the good. end of the book. Good, good, good. That was kind of where the question came <laughs> good, from. Good, good. Yes. Yes, but I th- I think in other ways in like in other I like Part of me, I, I I really wonder if she'll use the internet yeah. after this. I think she will because I think she'll have to. Like I can't imagine her or anyone her age in, in 2023 not right. using the internet. I mean, yeah. I mean, to, to drag it back to my stupid smartphone sitting on the desk in front of me again. <laughs> like I have thought of switching back from this phone so many times, but every time I'm like, well, but this is on it and I have to replace this and I have to replace this and I have to replace this and I have to replace this. And it really is that sense that you get with Reagan at the end where she's like, she's gained something and has a thousand thousand more burdens that have been added to it but that that piece which we i've the piece yes the um, thing (laughs) the thing um is is like a really interesting takeaway in the lens of everything that the book covers and i really appreciated that kind of concluding note oh good oh i'm so glad i'm so glad that that landed for you Alrighty. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for joining us here on Death of the Reader and a massive congratulations on the release of Dark Mode. Thank you. Woo! Thank you so much for having me. This was such a joy. You guys are awesome. Ashley Collegian Blunt there talking about her novel Dark Mode. Thank you to Ultimo Press for providing us with copies of the book. And if you want to find out more, there are, of course, links on the podcast. Thanks for joining us for this podcast exclusive here on Death of the Reader. See you around.